You don't need the world's longest webinar or the world's biggest sales page in order to sell something because you've already done so much building of trust and sharing value in your regular week-to-week content sharing. Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit crashplan.com slash boss project for 50% off your first year of Crash Plan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. Crash Plan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, Crash Plan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with Crash Plan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the podcast, I have Mariah Cause. She is someone I've known in this online industry since the early days of my business. And over the last couple of years, I've had the great honor and pleasure of getting to know her as a personal friend. And I am excited to have her on the show today because we are really discussing what the future of online business looks like and specifically applying this to both those serving one to many and who resonate as a content creator and those who are focused on service and doing things more one-on-one. And we are bringing both perspectives to the conversation. For those of you who do not know Mariah, Mariah helps creators monetize their business through community, content, courses, and other creative digital products. And I am so excited to have her on the show today. And I look forward to hearing our conversation. If you have any feedback at all, We would love to hear more of your hot takes from listening to today's show. So you're welcome to send us a DM. You can find me at Abigail Says on Instagram, or you can DM Mariah at Mariah P. Cause. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to you diving into today's conversation. Hey, Mariah, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan, as you know, so I am very grateful to be here. Oh, well, it's been fun. We've been having a lot of conversations behind the scenes, and we were talking the other day on Vox, and I was like, I don't think we should have this conversation here. I think we should absolutely record this conversation and have it very publicly because I know a lot of people would be interested in what we have to say because we've both been 
online educators in this industry for a long time, and I am excited to kind of dig in. So when we've had conversations like this in the past, it's been a little bit different. And rather than interview style, it becomes, I ask a question, I'll just get the take of the person on the other end, and then we'll just see where the conversation leads us. So my first very big, very broad question (laughs) for you, Mariah, is what does the future of online business look like? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like there's so many components. I was kind of trying to break it down in my head this morning. Like you said, we were starting to have this conversation in Voxer. And then we were like, because I was saying to you, I don't really get to like pick other people's brains about this enough. And I really want to like, I want to know what other people think is coming or how things are changing. I love episodes like this. Like this is my favorite type of content to listen to is like predictions and where things are going and what trends are we noticing and stuff like that. I love talking about it, but I also love hearing from other people. So I'm excited to hear your takes, which I don't know what you're going to (laughs) say. So (laughs) I'm just as curious. I, in a big sense, and we could definitely break this down into go into detail of each of these things. I think number one, we're going to see a lot more. I think we're going to see a lot more unique and creative monetization that goes beyond the traditional course curriculum and coaching programs and what people think those look like. Like, I think we're, I'm really excited about this. I'm very excited about this right now. This is like what I'm actually doing this whole week is like recording content about this. So it's very timely, but I've been getting really excited about digital products and monetization ideas that are not just curriculum and a group or curriculum and a course. And this kind of, I think people are kind of weary of these like very long and overstuffed products and programs. And they're just very overwhelming. I was thinking the other day, when did joining a program become like a full-time job? Like you're expected to basically participate in someone's coaching program as like a full-time thing. And that's not really realistic for people. So I think we're going to see more really low-key, simple digital products. Stuff that I'm talking about here is like, for example, for me, like a private podcast as a subscription product, as a paid offering, and the private podcast itself actually being like a core part of the product. More things like paid newsletters, paid writing subscriptions, paid just thinking about digital products that are small, they solve a really specific solution. I think people are looking for that versus oh, I expect this one giant program to be the end-all be-all for me. And I think that's another one. Like We can dive deeper into any of these, but my second one would be, like I was saying, I, I don't think people... I think people are kind of over it with blueprints. I'm over it with blueprints. Like I'm over it with their idea that there's like one step-by-step path or that there's a blueprint or that there's a formula that everyone should follow And I more think of things as Lego pieces or building blocks or just giving people creative options and different adaptations that they can use. But I really don't, I think all of us are kind of over it with the blueprints. And then when it comes to 
high ticket, which maybe will come up during this conversation. I'm not sure. I think there's a lot happening there. I think when it comes to high ticket, I think we're just going to continue to see a shift to asynchronous delivery and asynchronous support where it's happening, like you said, more in Voxer or voice messages, DMs, private conversations, chats. I don't think the typical like weekly scheduled coaching call, I've been saying this since like the beginning of the year, but I don't think the typical weekly scheduled coaching call is really working for people. I don't think it works for people's schedules. I don't think it works for people to have to sit through two hours of listening to other people's questions. I think we're just going to see more asynchronous, like targeted support. I do think high ticket is still going to have a place in the market, but I think it is going to look it's going to look different. I think it's going to be more asynchronous than what we've seen before. So those are like my big three. What do you think? Yeah. So I think the first thing that came up for me is we, you and I joined this world when a lot of what we were doing was pretty new. And not that we were on the ground floor by any means, but I feel like it was still the early days. Blogging was popular. You talked about that as as being retro. (laughs) And businesses had not, up until the point in which we kind of joined the market, using the internet to grow your business was a fairly new concept. Prior to that, it had been advertising. And then prior to that, it had been primarily in your local community and word of mouth and like only in your sphere of access. And so advertising allowed you to get access to more people. But as we had more channels or more ways to consume content, i.e. blogs, internet, whatever, the discoverability moved from utilizing traditional television and radio and newspaper to consuming content online. And so I think because so many people have started utilizing the internet for quite obvious reasons, because it's very effective and it gives you the ability to reach so many people so quickly, there's now so many people doing the same thing that everyone is starting to blend together. And ultimately, back in the day, you could be the only one doing what you were doing for your niche market. And now you're likely not. People have more options than ever before. And so it used to be that you could just be a web designer or a coach or insert something that sounds a bit more generic and you could get clients easily. And I think what we are going to have to do is be willing to pull ourselves out from the crowd And stop blending in and really be willing to lean into what makes our message or our delivery or our service unique. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I don't want to stop your train of thought, though, if you're not done. No, you're good. You go ahead. So does that mean leaning more into personal brands or not that? Is it more about the message and the mission or is it like the only way to stand out is to be personal brand and really be like who you are is what makes you different? I think it means that personal brands are going to have a resurgence. I think that's part of it, but not necessarily. I think businesses have the opportunity to have to solve a more specific problem. Rather than solving a generic, broad problem, 
I think you're going to have to solve a much more specific problem either for, so you have one of two choices. You can either solve a more specific problem to a broader group of people, or you can solve a broader problem to a smaller specific group of people. And I think one or both of those could work. I also think in terms of buyer behavior, people wanted an all-in-one solution when they started. I keep going back to like comparing it to television. When you started, there was four channels. And then all of a sudden, there were all of these options. And now I think people, in the same way they're consuming content and entertainment, They want to consume their education in the same format where they could dabble in a lot of different places. I want to learn this thing from this person or get this service from this person, but they're not necessarily craving as much as they used to a one-stop shop. And so I think people are more likely to come out into the world looking to solve a very specific problem. Yeah. And then the consumers, the buyers are curating their own custom holistic solution from bits and pieces from different people, different places that they resonate with. I think that's really aligned with what I've been thinking about the no more blueprints, no more step-by-step path. You follow exactly what I did, or this is one thing is going to work perfectly for everyone. It's more like, here's the, you know, you might gather up your building blocks from 10 different places or 10 different people or all these different things. And it really is up to us as the creator or the, or the buyer or whoever it is to like develop the skills and the discernment to be able to piece those things together. And so I think like the skills that everyone needs to work on is synthesis and discernment and being able to how do you develop the brain power and the savviness to be able to take 10 things from 10 different people and know how to put them together yourself in a way that's going to make sense? Because I think for a while there, people wanted to like, they wanted this foolproof blueprint, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's like, you could just turn your brain off and just do this. And it's like, I almost felt like there was a time when people thought that was appealing. Go, I would like to just turn my brain off and not have to think for myself and I'll just follow this step and not have to like make any actual decisions or have to like be creative about my own business and come up with, like I said, alternatives or adaptations or modification that's going to make sense for you. And I'm glad for what you're saying because I think it's more interesting and I think that's where innovation can happen. I think from a marketing standpoint, yes, everyone does need to get more specific with how they help people. But that means that the buyers are going to have to develop the skills to be able to put multiple building blocks together from different places and be able to create that for themselves. I do worry, though, that it's going to widen the gap. I do think it may make the people who are successful more successful and the people who are struggling to figure it out have too many options, too many paths, too many things they could do. And it's going to make it more confusing to get started. Like, I think there was a more clear trajectory to get off the ground and get to the point that you were profitable and making enough that you could leave a job or have this be your full-time income. And I don't necessarily think those tools are as easy to get access to because there isn't a brilliant way to like grow an audience overnight right now. 
I used to have people who literally read every piece of content I ever put out into the world, most of which was written. And then now people like listen to my podcast once in a blue moon or like listen for two years straight and then stop listening for no reason. Yeah, their lives change or their whatever they're looking for in that moment changes. Absolutely. I think too, like if they're, I don't know how you feel about this because we're people who we buy products, right? We buy other people's digital products and courses and programs, of course, and we're also creating them. And I have thought a lot about what you're talking about of this dichotomy of like, I wish that I could give a new, you know, a newbie or someone who's starting out. I wish that I could say, this is the number one best and only way for you to start. This is the path to follow. And then you can branch off from there. But I think this comes with business maturity and just being how long you and I have been around. I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't feel strongly that there is even one clear best way to get started. I think it truly is so different for each person and each person's strengths and each person's willingness to whether they're going to do video or not, or whether they're going to do writing as their core format, or whether they're going to do podcasting. And all those things matter so much that I don't even feel sure that there is. Whereas like a few years ago, I would have been like, yeah, start with digital products. Or you might have said, start with services. This is what makes sense. Like, here's the path that you can follow if you're just starting out. But it's like you said, I don't think it's as clear anymore. And I don't even personally, as a teacher, feel like there's one thing I can point to and be like, yeah, everyone who's starting out should start with this because it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's the easiest way to get started. You can always grow from there. I don't even feel like there is one of those right now. I feel like there's a hundred of them and they're all valid. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways that someone could start a business or get to the point that they're replacing an income and truly living off of it. That being said, I do think there's a way to allow people to go through discernment to make those decisions for themselves. And that's a big reason why I'm building out the co-op the way that I am so that I can give people the information to to make some choices. I still think personally for the majority of the people listening that services may be the way to start, but I absolutely know there's people in my audience that are going to resonate with Mariah's approach to being a content first person. And like that I am I am a content creator at heart. That is what drives me every day. I want to share a message. I want to take people on a journey. I don't necessarily think everyone listening is that way. I think a lot of people want to focus on a one-to-one relationship and serving one person at a time and really ensuring that they're they're providing the solution to the problem that their clients are coming at them with. So while I don't think there's like a prescriptive way to start, I do think there's a way to look at your options and figure out the path that makes the most sense for you. I love that. Like almost like how do you identify your strengths? How do you identify your resources? What is the lowest hanging fruit for you, which is going to be different from someone else? Like I know for me, if I had started as a service provider, I don't know how far I would have gotten. (laughs) Because I think I would have been like, 
Wow. This is like, I think if I, I know that some people have said like, oh, you like start, start with one-on-one and then go to this, go to that. And I think if I had started there, it's like, I wonder how far I would have gotten because I might've gotten stuck there or might've just been like, this is not for me. (laughs) Like never, never progressed to like the quote unquote next stage or something. And so I think there is, like you said, there needs to be some sort of assessment for people to, and for people to sit down and identify what should I be doing and not just looking at, I think it's easy to look around at who's making the most money, who's the loudest, who has the most followers, and then try to want to be that person and try to imitate them or try to emulate them. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but you have to really look and like, I've looked around at people and been like, that's great for like social media superstars. Thank goodness for them because I love to consume their content. Like, thank goodness someone is sharing photos and videos of their house and shit. So I know what I should do in mine. Otherwise I would have nothing to go from. Like, I'm grateful for the people who can do that. And it's so not me. And I've definitely gone through periods where I've been like, why can't I just post every day? Or why can't I just like casually share when I'm like cooking dinner or whatever? And I'm just not that person. But it's going to take, I think there's a lot of people who will see what someone else is doing, really want to do that or, or want to emulate it because they see the results that they're getting. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to identify and assess like, okay, well, what makes sense for me as a person in my life, my strengths and and weaknesses and whatever those are. Yeah. I think that almost requires the ability to, I think you have to separate both the method and the life. You can want to have someone's lifestyle, but not like their method to get there. You can also love someone's method, but hate their lifestyle. And I think you have to have a level of discernment about what your boundaries are and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And I do think it requires less idolization of these people that we follow and pay attention to. I think you can respect someone and value what they bring to the table, but you have to not keep putting people on pedestals like they're people and they make mistakes and you don't always know all the facts of what they're presenting you know bits and pieces of what they've shared and it's always going to be the version that's going to benefit them most so i don't know we got to take that with a grain of salt i do want to specifically bring up when we were talking the other day i mentioned something briefly and it sounded like you had a lot more to say on the topic. But I said, do you think online education has become a commodity? Yes. Interesting. I did a whole training on this. It's in my group. It's in the Creator Party group for free if anyone wants to check it out about the commoditization and commodification of courses and coaching and the people behind them essentially productizing themselves and then realizing that they're miserable <laughs> and like being like, oh, I, why isn't this working for me? Oh, it's because I turned myself, a human being, into a product that people can buy and they can buy time with me and they can buy access to me and they can buy my attention. And it's like all these intangible things, right? That's more commodification than commoditization is when everything starts looking and sounding the same and to the point where there's no difference. And so the only difference is price. And so you really want to be careful that like you're not getting into the point of your work becoming commoditized in the 
to the point where you look and sound like everybody else. You really, really have to do the work to stand out, which, as you said, is getting harder and harder. Do I think that these edu- that education products in general? I mean, I do think there's a there's a huge issue with people. Like it literally makes me so annoyed. I have like a visceral, viscerally annoyed reaction when I see just everyone looking and sounding the same. You see all the coaches who look exactly like their coach and sound like their coach. And you can just like tell where people come from, you know, and like where they learned it from. I get really annoyed when people just have really vague and boring hooks and headlines and messaging and like taglines for their programs. It's just so like, it makes me angry when I'm just like, this is so bad. Why can't we, you have to get specific. And I think that's really what it comes down to is people are just not being specific. They think that they're going to, like you said, like turn away all these imaginary clients if they get too specific or too niche down, which is not happening. They're not making any sales because their stuff is so vague. And I don't know. I feel like they're, I feel like that's happening in some circles. It's happening on some level. It, it's definitely happening somewhere, but I don't think it's happening everywhere. And if it was, then like we wouldn't see these really cool, innovative products come out that people get really excited about. Like people see something fresh and new and it gives them this, oh, wow, that's really cool. I want to experience that. Or that hook is just so powerful. It comes around every once in a while, but I think it's, I think maybe it's like an 80-20 thing. It's like 80% of people are creating things that I think they just, they're not being very creative about it. They're just being like, oh, well, I saw so-and-so doing this, or I just want it to look like them, or I just think this is what will make money. And it's just like really broad and vague, or or it just is a copy of someone else's. But that's probably, you know, that's maybe the 80% and then the 20% of this like really forward thinking, innovating, coming out with the new ideas, setting the trends, always pushing the edges of what the next education type products can be, which as I said at the beginning, I think is changing. Like the formats of them is changing. I think the length of them is, like I think the size and length of them is is changing. I think a lot of the details are changing, but I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do you think it's all just become a sea of sameness or do you think there's groups within that? Because I feel like there are still some people that are like willing to do the work and like put not do the work as in like put in the hours. I just mean like getting creative, which takes like brain power. Yeah. So not necessarily specific to online business, but specific to online educators. I feel like there are groups that I'm personally burnt out on like business owners, teaching other business owners, coaches, teaching other coaches, life coaches, teaching other coaches, social media marketers, trying to teach other people to be social media marketers. I think there's a lot of this like meta stuff happening. That's hard to watch because it's so the same. And like you're saying, you can tell who learned what from who and, you know, it's becoming very prescriptive. I think the people that are standing out are doing, if we're talking about educators specifically, are doing things that are for groups that aren't trying to educate. So specifically, I have a client who teaches web copy to psychology groups, how to book out your psychologist practice with 
effective copywriting. I know people who are doing courses on getting your book on Amazon to self-publish or hit these certain ranks on different platforms like the New York Times or whatever. I've seen people who are chefs who are like teaching like unique techniques to like make meals. And I'm an avid amateur chef. So I'm like, I I love that. I'm like obsessed with cooking. It's my number one hobby. So yes, (laughs) yes to that. All of that. And so I think those are areas where like, there's just not as many people. And so I I do, it does kind of make me wonder if certain niches are I don't believe in saturation. I think anyone can still make it work, but I do think there is a point of saturation where it does start to affect how effective someone can be in a certain industry. Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by seeing you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get 
get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. Yes, I think so too. And I think what you're, you think you nailed it with like, it happens in the the spaces where people are essentially like they're creating their own sea of competition yeah and they're creating little mini me's and they're creating like little and it's so weird to me like i have i have a whole podcast about things that piss me off and bum me out about the online space it's so weird to me like that the educators don't care or that that's actually like their goal or something because it's so weird like that would just it annoys me to no end if people even do something like similar to me or, or for some people they're like yeah go ahead take my program and sell it like do be exactly like me and i'm like that literally drives me insane like i would not be okay with that but i think in those types of spaces it's happening and that's why like for since i started even though inevitably i do have customers and clients who teach marketing and business like it just it does of course it's a it's a part of it so do I. <laughs> exactly. Right. But I've always focused on the B2C people because I think, because, well, that's where I started. So that's, that's where I started out. And so I think for me, it's always like the B2C people are, I just think they have like, they have the bigger opportunity because they might, maybe not now, like you were saying, like even now in these really small B2C niches, People are doing webinars and people are doing email sequences and people are selling digital products. But I think there's still a few little corners where the digital products and like webinars and email sequences and funnels and stuff like that are not, no one in very small specific niches, no one has them. And you would be the first person in your little corner of the internet to launch something like that or to, to create something like that. And so I think that there's more opportunity for the B2C people. I personally just find it really interesting to brainstorm on for people in, in those industries. And like I was helping a client who has like a baseball training. So for her, it's like, how, how am I going to get, how am I going to sell my baseball training course year round when baseball is only like during the summer or whatever? And so I love solving problems like that. That's like my favorite thing is solving B2C type problems because it's where I started and it's what I enjoy. But like you said, inevitably, of course, you're going to end up working with marketing professionals and stuff like that too. Yeah. I definitely still prefer working B2B. I think I... No, I'm not, obviously, I'm working with other businesses, but I prefer those businesses to also be working with other businesses. I absolutely have people who are working with consumers, but... I love figuring out the unique twist or like how you can better serve people or make it more specific. And so like, I think some of my most successful clients are doing things that are so specific, like so specific. I have a bookkeeper that's she's a CPA and accountant for photographers only. 
she only works with those clients. I have a copywriter that only works with health professionals. I have, like I said, a web designer who only works with psychologists. I have people in my circle who, like one woman, Diane, she specifically builds those little convenience stores inside hotel lobbies. And she helps like build out the convenience stores in their locations when they're building new hotels. And I just find all of it so interesting because there's so many ways to serve other businesses. And I think the more specific they are, it can, it just is so interesting to me. I definitely have people who serve a broader audience but they tend to be the ones that struggle the most with selling or converting people, which it brings me to my next question. How do you think selling will evolve in the online space? That's a good question. So here's, I'll just describe what I'm shifting in my selling. I don't want to paint this as this is happening across the board for everyone or everyone should follow suit or this is what is happening. You know, I don't want to say this is a prescriptive thing for everybody, but I'll just share what I'm shifting. I think that there, because also what I'm about to say, like there will always be people who can be really successful with like these hyper structured funnels and webinars and automations and 20 step triggers of this fires and then this email sends out and then this thing, blah, blah, blah. Like there's always going to be people who can be successful with that because that's like how they're, how they want it to look. But for me, I think going back to a more organic, flowy ecosystem. And here's what that looks like for me. I do believe that if you share regular content, if you share valuable content consistently on a podcast, on YouTube, on Instagram, it doesn't matter the platform. But if you're consistently, and and consistently doesn't have to mean everyday people. I'm saying like, if you publish a podcast twice a month, that can be consistent, consistent. You know, that's what I do basically. So If you share valuable content somewhat consistently, I think that your selling systems and your selling assets, which typically we would think of as sales pages, webinars, email sequences, all these different things you can do. I think your assets don't have to do so much heavy lifting if you are consistently sharing valuable content because you're co- you're just shifting the heavy lifting if <laughs> if that makes sense like your content that you're sharing on a regular basis and again it doesn't have to be daily on social media i don't do that i'm saying you can send an email newsletter once a week or whatever but if you're doing that consistently that does the heavy lifting so that you don't need the world's longest webinar or the world's biggest sales page in order to sell something because you've already done so much building of trust and sharing value in your regular week-to-week content sharing. And to add a layer to that, I am also doing that with a community. So I recently launched a free community. It's been really fun. It's called Creator Party if you want to come hang out there. And again, I feel like it because I'm consistently showing up in there and just having real life human to human conversations with people i'm answering questions i'm brainstorming i'm you know sharing thoughts because i'm in there all the time i don't feel the need that i have to have 
a super perfect long webinar or sales page or email sequence or whatever to sell consistently. And so I think that is a shift for me is again, kind of, I think there's just people went so far into automation and disconnect and like, how can we have no touch points whatsoever with any humans, which I think some people, they just nerd out on that and they are passionate about it. Like automation and that stuff, they geek out about it. It's literally fun for them. So good for them. I like that. That's cool. But at the same time, I just feel myself moving in a direction of like more organic, just between the community and having true connectivity and conversate, like having back and forth conversations with people on a regular daily basis, that combined with sharing valuable content on a weekly basis, I feel like is eliminating the need for me to, on a sale, on the sales side, require all these really intensive sales mechanisms and sales vehicles. I think it just kind of does the heavy lifting for you. And it's, I don't think that one is better than the other because I think there are some people I have myself, I have gone through seasons where I 100% would have rathered, I would have rather created a two hour webinar one time than put out a piece of content every week. Like 100, I've been through seasons like that. I've had years like that where I was like, I don't want to put, I don't want to be consistent with content. I don't want to share any regular content for free. I'm just going to have this one webinar. But if you do that, that one webinar and the email sequence and the automations and the funnel and everything, the sales page has to do all the heavy lifting because there's really nothing in front of that, that people are experiencing before they get there. So you can just make the trade, you know, it's just a trade-off one way or the other. I don't think one is worse than the other, but I think the way that I'm leaning is towards that. And so we'll, we'll put this to the test because the next, the product that I'm launching like next week, as of recording this, I don't know, you know, when this will go live, it will not have a actual sales page. It won't really have a webinar. It won't really have, like, it'll have a video, but it's not really a webinar and it won't have a sales page. It will just have like a paragraph about it. It's very different than anything I've done before. And we'll see how that goes. But my, again, it's like, I, do I really need another 45 minute webinar when my free community has 10 hour long workshops that people can binge watch if they want to? There's a lot, there's enough, there's stuff, there's, there's a hundred podcast episodes you can listen to. I mean, there's so much other stuff you can consume and it can be about exactly what you want it to be about. I don't know if we need all the stuff, but we'll see, we'll find out. But that's where I'm thinking in terms of selling is focusing on creating value on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and that doing sort of the heavy lifting so that the sales are just freaking seamless. The sales just happen because you're not, it's not like a big sales event. It's not like a big like sales system. Like there's stuff that you do, but it's just organic. It's just like sales just freaking happen because you're being a normal person, having real life conversations and sharing value. And like, you can't help but sales happen. Like you couldn't stop it if you tried. Yeah. So I think to kind of echo what you're saying, and I think this specifically applies to those selling one to many. I don't necessarily think it applies to every group, but for those selling one to many, what I see working, do I think some people are doing 
webinars and automations and funnels and all the things like you're saying. Yeah, they are. And I still think in some areas they're being effective, but people are, in my opinion, a little bit worn out from being sold to. They want to know that you're really going to provide value. And so I think the only way they can earn that trust these days is if you're willing to not hold back on the front end. And so I think if the more you can be of service freely without being like, oh, well, I can answer that question if you book a call with me. I think you have to be willing to just show up and and tell them what you would tell them regardless of where they're at or if they paid you or not. I think when people do that, it makes the ability for someone to purchase from you so much easier. That being said, I think there's been so long where there's been this huge season of like building all these intricate things that like build up to these other things. For those of you who've been in business a long time, I encourage you to think about how you can make it way more obvious what someone can buy from you. <laughs> yes. It's so hidden. It's like it, like if you make it too deep in too many links or clicks away, they're going to be like, oh, I'll just keep consuming the free stuff because I don't even know what they sell. Right. Like it's hidden behind three trap doors and like you have to know the secret password. And it's like, it's like there definitely was a time where it's like, okay, well, first people have to buy my $10 thing. And then if they click, that's what I'm talking about where it's like, well, first they buy my $10 workshop. And then if they buy that, if they click on the third link in the third email, then I know they're serious. And then I'm going to send them down this funnel. And then- And it's called- burying the lead. Right. Like you're hiding your stuff. Like, it's like, I always say, like, do you just hate money? Like you're just hiding your products. And I think we just need to be, of course, if you want to have a a tripwire funnel or an LTO or some, like, if you want to have an opt-in, go for it. But I just, I don't know. I feel like it's too, yeah. Like at a certain point it becomes like too much. I mean, do I think you can still have order bumps and upsells or whatever? Sure. I, also think you need a place where someone could just go see what you do and what you offer and what they could buy from you and they could just buy it. Now, if you're offering something either in group or one to many, the thing that has been the most effective for me, especially as I've seen a lot more people have a decrease in leads just based on the economy and how things are going. I think if you are willing to present it more as a service, even if you've productized it, even if you've turned it into a group. I think when you present it as a service, rather than putting together these giant long sales pages that are trying to pitch someone, put it out there that this is what you do and this is how you serve and then give people an opportunity to have a conversation. Now, I think you can do that asynchronously if you want. For me... It's definitely been most effective for me to just schedule those calls. When when things were asynchronous, I was struggling with boundaries and like not knowing when to stop having the conversations and I was having them all the time. And I know e- async works so well for you. So I'm not saying there's a certain type of conversation that it has to be, but I think having a conversation to get into these more high ticket options is effective. And so like, I I don't necessarily think you need to have a huge webinar to like sell into a mastermind or your $10,000 new website design project. Like I think you can 
you can sell direct and really meet people where they're at if you know the unique things they have going on and how you can better serve them. So it's so interesting. I like that tidbit of like, how can you position your program if it is a higher ticket? Maybe it has done for you elements or it has one-on-one elements or there's some sort of high touch element of it. How can you position it more as a service? I think that's really, that's really interesting. Yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. Do you think with this conversation of the way things are, the future of things, predictions, do you think pricing is a part of that or not? Obviously, I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah. So I think we we had a season where people were really willing to overextend themselves for access. And I think people were paying beyond their means in many instances, not everyone, but a lot of people were paying beyond their means to get access to either a person or a group of people or a network or some solution that they thought was going to change the game for them. And I think enough people have either been burned by that or the economy is just simply different and they're concerned about their personal finances that I I do think people are going to make wiser decisions. And I do think depending on who your audience is, you need to be paying attention to can the thing you're selling at this price be reasonably affordable to the person you're trying to sell it to? And not that it has to be accessible or like, cheap. I'm not saying it can't still be high end, but we're, it has to be within their means, in my opinion. And I think, I do think there's like a threshold for that, that if you extend much beyond that, you're starting to overcome objections that like break an ethical boundary for me. And so I want to make sure that, sure, if someone really wants something, go for it. I'm not saying don't do the thing, but I don't necessarily believe in sales sales that are overextending people. And so I I think the more you can also respect that and not feel like you're fighting against it, I would rather you get in a new room where people have more expendable finances than change your price if that's what you need to price it to make your life work. That's a good point. I feel like what I'm thinking is that there's just like always going to be a spectrum of customers. And therefore, the best thing you can be thinking about, probably not as a service provider, but I'm coming more from the digital product or educator side of things, is what is your spectrum of offers going to be? Yep. And that's how I'm approaching it too. Yeah, exactly. Where it's not like, oh, you should just have one offer at this one price point for everyone. But how can you... You need different entry points. Yeah, I think there needs to be different entry points. I think there needs to be, people need to maybe think about expand, maybe people who have only had one offer for a long time, it might be time to think about expanding and having multiple, having a spectrum of offers from low ticket to high ticket. And I'm, I have a whole podcast episode that's like low ticket versus high ticket. And like the point of it is like, there is like one is not better than the other guys. Like there's not like, and I'm telling you, there are, there definitely is a market and an ideal customer for higher end services, higher priced programs, masterminds, like higher ticket stuff. I mean, we get more and more 
requests for one-on-one done for you, mastermind, like high, high level stuff. That market is there, but you also have all these other segments on this spectrum of your market from beginners, intermediate. How can you meet people where they're at and have more offers at a whole various different price points? And how can that serve your business? So that's kind of what I was thinking with pricing is that it's not, again, it's not going one way or the other. And it's not like one, it's not like, oh yeah, low ticket versus high ticket. I think it's really becoming important for people to think, how can I have one of each? How can I have different price points and different entry points and different offers that serve different people depending on where they're at in my audience? Yeah. I think the one thing I'll add to that before we wrap up is that if you go about creating the diversification, it doesn't, you can, you know, if you are selling one to many and you respond as a content creator, you can diversify by having kind of that stair step or ecosystem like Mariah is talking about. On the service side, there are ways to still have entry points that not, it's not necessarily about making something go from, $10,000 $10,000 to $29. I'm talking more about like, could you do an audit or some sort of planning session or strategy intensive or whatever that provides value that showcases that you are the unique expert and that you can do the ultimate service, but gives people an entry point that is at a lower price tag. And so that's been really effective for my high-end web projects, I've had a $5,000 strategy intensive and I go through a bunch of things that automatically need to work out anyway. Like we need to get way more clear on your messaging. We need to get way more clear on your pricing so that when we present it on your website, that I know who we're talking to. And so having people go through that, it made it so much easier to sell a $20,000 or $25,000 website because I already earned their trust, but I also worked out things that I had to know anyway to effectively do my job in the higher end service. It's like the first step anyway, and you could kind of break it off into, I love what you said, like a strategy intensive or planning session, goal setting, something like that, that just get clarity session that gets people going in the right direction, but it also is the first step. And I think service providers definitely need to think about like little bite-sized things like that. I've definitely, even as a, like for me as a consumer, I'm always looking for things like that where I'm like, can I do a VIP day with them before doing their 12 month one-on-one stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, today was awesome. And I know people are going to be interested in hearing more of your hot takes because you have them. (laughs) So where can people connect with you online? Yeah, there's two main places. If you listen to my podcast, obviously you're a podcast person because you're listening now. My podcast has so much great hot takes and value and all sorts of trainings and things there. So Mariah Cause Show is my podcast. I know it's a very unique name. And then, so Mariah Cause Show is my podcast. And then I also have a free community where I just hang out in there all the time. All my free trainings are in there. A ton of free courses are in there. And also just really deep conversations and really cool discussions happening there. So that is creatorparty.co. So if you go to creatorparty.co, it'll take you right to the community and you can sign up and start joining the conversation. Yeah, I'm in there as well. So it's really fun to hang out. And I am definitely loving staying on the leaderboard. I want to be a good contributor to the community at large. You are climbing the leaderboard. I was looking at it today. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure and I'm sure we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.